This morning, reading taken from Second Samuel, chapter six, verses one to twenty-three, on page three o nine. The ark brought to Jerusalem. David again brought together all the able young men and of Israel, thirty thousand. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the arks of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on the new cart and brought it from the house of Abidanab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, son of Abinadab, were guarding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, tambourine, rattle, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burns against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died. There, beside the ark of God, then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to these days, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, "How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me?" He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed Edom, the Gentile. The ark of the Lord. Remain in the house of Obed Edom, the Chittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, "The Lord has blessed the house of Obed Edom and everything he has, because of the ark of God." So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom. To the city of David with rejoicing, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord has taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shout and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping out, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place beside the tent that David has pitched for it. 
and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offering before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offering and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of ricin to each person in the whole crowd of Israel, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Topo. Please um, keep that open at page uh, 309. Uh, We'll be looking at that um, together. But let's first um, take a moment to pray, shall we? Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you for your words. Thank you uh, for your presence with us now um, by faith in the Lord Jesus. Please help us as we look at it together, that you'll speak to us, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were to go up uh, into my uh, study, which is at the back here, up a a spiral staircase, some of you have been in it, um, wrist, life and limb going up the spiral staircase. And my study up there, if you go in it, through the mess uh, and the chaos, um, in my study sits um, a box. And it's uh, four feet uh, long by uh, one and a half feet deep and, and one and a half feet Hi. It's a very plain box, um, and on the front are the, the words um, windmill flock. Uh, most people visiting my study um, amongst all the clutter wouldn't immediately see the meaning of the box uh, for me. Um, it would mean nothing to you unless you had an interest in pedigree sheep, Suffolk sheep farming, which I suspect most of you don't have an interest in. The windmill flock was the name of my uh, father's flock. Um, But it was no mere relic, since um, in the box contained, uh, still contains, some of the implements and tools used for for showing sheep. There's shears, there's cards, there's 
lots of different implements, one for docking the tails. Um, there's all sorts of things in it. There's a, there's a, a whole load of photos and rosettes from uh, taking animals to the, the sheep to, to shows. Um, if you were to open the box, you get this lovely waft of sheep uh, still. But maybe you don't appreciate that quite in the way that I would. Um, it's a great smell. Now, I prize this box because I know its significance to me. Okay? Remember that. I, I prize this box because I know the significance of it to me. Now, in, a, in the same way, it, um, you may not find it especially exciting um, over an ancient box that's just three feet by two feet by two feet, made of acacia wood covered in, in, in gold uh, plate and called the Ark of the Covenant. It's a box. Uh, you may be shaken out of that apathy and understanding when you realize this box represents the very presence of God. It was a sign of God's presence with his people. So this, this story here that we've just had read, is it, it matters, it really matters because it speaks about God and about his relationship with his people. If you like, the Israelites prize this box because they know the significance of it. Now, before we go um, much further, I want to show you um, the structure of the passage. I don't normally show you structures of passages. It feels a bit like school, doesn't it? But here it is. <laughs> it's highly structured, the way these things are written in the Bible. I just want to show you this and, and have this in mind because it really helps you to see what's going on. Bringing up of the ark, it's been left on the sidelines and, and there's great joy, great celebrations, there's a tragedy as Yuzah dies. David's reaction is one of fear and then the, the, the box goes off to Eden, uh, uh, Obed-Eden because they're, David's worried. How can this stay here? And it's mirrored in the second half of the passage. Bringing up of the ark, again a gate joy. Tragedy hits again, but this time it's because Michal um, doesn't like what's going on. David reacts through worship. He reacts through generosity, gives the people food, the raisins and the bread, and it's back in the house of David. Okay? Keep that in mind. It's quite a helpful structure, and we'll come back to it um, shortly. And what I want to do is draw out a few themes from this passage for us to think about. And the first one is the focus on the Lord's presence. The focus of the Lord's presence. Verse 1 says this. David brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Now, now, now notice the size here of the procession. This is big. Um, they're taking it up um, to Jerusalem. This was a big moment. This was a large crowd. It's an incredible celebration. Big emphasis on music, and 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 um, that this really matters. I think about the coronation um, when I saw that a, a couple of weeks ago. Did you rem remember how big the the procession was? 
I read that it was 1.42 miles long. Uh, and um, uh, it, was, it was a moment of great deal. There was big band going along. In it. So it's that kind of size of thing going on here. Shows you how important this was. Now take a moment to understand why it was really important. Um, for the ark signifies, yes, the presence of God... But what does it tell us about God? This is really important. What does it actually tell us about him? Well, first of all, it speaks of the Lord's rule, that he's a ruler. And it's not so much see in here, but often David spoke of the Ark of the Covenant elsewhere, calling it a footstool of our God, a footstool. And you know, kings... Um, sat on throne, and they use footstools, don't they, to put their feet on. So if the ark is a footstool, then the Lord is the king, isn't it? Uh, And so David, what David, you see, is doing here is he's showing that, oh yeah, I might be the the king, but the real king, the one who sits on the throne, is is the Lord God. So he's a a ruler. Um, And that's really important because a ruler provides safety, provides justice. And then the second thing is the ark speaks of the Lord's reconciliation. Um, You might uh, remember on the Day of Atonement, um, the high priest would sprinkle blood um, uh, over the the mercy seat, the lid of the ark, um, for the sins of the people so that the sin was covered and, and, and dealt with. The place, so, the, so the ark tells us something about God's reconciling love, doesn't it? It tell, speaks of a place of forgiveness. It speaks of a place of a fresh start, that things can be made new. It speaks of salvation. So king, it speaks of his rule. It speaks of his reconciling love. And thirdly, it speaks of his revelation to us. Because remember what's inside the ark. You remember what's inside the ark? It's the Ten Commandments, isn't it? It's the, the tablets that were given to Moses, were put into the ark. So it's a place of the Lord's directing word. It's a place of revelation, a word that brings blessing to the people. Now, do we see the significance? Um, this, this is why it really matters, God's presence, because God's presence... Um, so to speak, cannot be left on the sidelines, can it? Cannot be left out on the edges of the nation, um, on some outskirts of the town. And you think about that in terms of community, of our community. The central focus of, of the presence of God has to be in the, in the middle of the community, yeah? So this, is, this was a really big deal, and this is what, why um, David is trying to bring it into Jerusalem. For their worship must focus on God's kingly rule, his reconciling love, and his revelation to us. It must be at the heart of Israel's life. And that should be no different for each of us and for our life as a, a community, as a church. Our focus should be on King Jesus, isn't it? That he is with us by faith, uh, his presence is here by his spirit, Uh, It should be on his reconciling love on the cross, that he provides mercy and forgiveness. It should be on listening to God's word and how he's revealed himself to us. In the midst of his people, those are the things that really should be at the centre, brought into the centre of a worshipping community. Now, let's just 
hold that for a moment, because that's really very important, and David recognises. But let's just sort of set that in contrast to what happened in the previous chapter. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through. Um, and last week, we saw that David has to deal with the Jezebites and the Philistines, all the enemies of God and God's people. And he, he, he gives them a whipping, and they, they defeat them. Um, but here's, here's the point here. God's people are not sustained by enemies. Or, or to put it differently, God's people are not sustained by battles. Uh, um, or, or going from crisis to crisis. That's not how we're sustained in a life of, of God's people. Important as sometimes those might be for us as a church or for us individually, we do not thrive as Christians, as as believers, when we're constantly in battle mode with, with difficulties and strives around us. There's no substitute. Uh, there's no substitute from seeking the face of God in the presence of his people, putting God at the centre in worship, worship to him. That has to be the front and centre. Uh, we can get so easily lost, lose sight of that. I can lose sight of that. We can lose sight of that as a church. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we constantly face, have to face the latest moral or ethical um, difficulty or the latest social or cultural battle or whatever it might be, the latest political emergency, yes, we cannot, um, must not ignore those things. They, they might be very important um, enemies, as it were, that surround us, but we equally must not be absorbed by them. The thing that must absorb us is worship of God. War, to put it like that, must not erase worship. Battle must not erase worship. Crisis, emergency, difficulty, whatever it might be, must not erase worship of putting God at the very centre. And David recognises this, doesn't he? Um, and wants to bring God right into the centre of things. As someone else has um, put it, uh, I like this phrase. The question is not who is against us, but who is among us. The question is not who is against us, who is among us. And who is among us? The Lord God Almighty is amongst us and should be right at the centre. You know, we have um, fate, battles to face, uh, and some crises that are happening inside the church, um, which you will probably know about. But we must not lose sight about who is among us as God's people. Very crucial. Um, we all, and I need, and we all need to reflect on the, the faith of the very presence of the Lord Jesus amongst his people. That that must be the central thing that we focus on. Yes, we have to deal with other things, but... Worshipping him in spirit and truth. Now, how can we keep the Lord's focus? Well, we need to keep it by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and by faith. Um, but let's move on to the second theme here. The second theme is the danger, of the danger, and I use that word carefully, of the Lord's holiness. Um, notice the procession began with lots of fun and joy. There's lots of bands playing. Uh, David says in verse 5, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets. Are they things you, you do that? I don't know. Yeah, thank you. 
<laughs> I remember learning, doing that at school. Um, harps, lyres, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. Everything was very happy, happy, wasn't it? It was going well when suddenly the music stops, the dancing stops, and all eyes turn to user. And suddenly the cart jolts. One of the oxen stumbles. The ark slips. Uzziah reaches out, takes hold of the ark. So that's my sound effects haven't really improved. Um, the, the party is over, isn't it? Um, verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzziah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there before the ark of the Lord. Now, does that offend you in some way? It's, it's not easy, is it? to understand what's going on. It's hard for us. After all, Uzziah was only trying to help, wasn't he? Uh, surely it was instinctive. Surely, you know, he, he just does what we all do. Surely God would look over this some seemingly um, minor infringement. Surely we should be angry, a bit like David was here. Or is there something deeper that we need to realise here about God's holiness and the fear of the Lord? Um, well, what was the problem here? Um, in Numbers 4, if you go back and look there, look at it later, the Lord had very specific instructions. He'd given instructions to Moses about how the ark was to be transported. And to summarise it, basically, it would only be transported by the Levites, then the, the priests, the Levites, There was to be no touch, uh, no look, and no cart, okay? And it says, lest they die. So clearly, the Lord didn't want them to die, yeah? He didn't want them to die because he'd given clear instructions about what should be done. Hence, there's a warning back in Numbers 4. And that's so, so it's part of the answer, isn't it? It's part of it. The Lord had warned them. They shouldn't, they should have known. They can't blame ignorance. And so verse eight, the Lord's wrath had broken out against user. You see the same phrase used back in chapter five, verse 20. You can see it back. The Lord broke out against the Philistines. And, and one of the things to notice there is it broke out against the Philistines as it broke out against user. In other words, it, it broke out both against enemy and friend. It broke out against Israelite and pagan. It broke out against religious people and non-religious people. We may continue to object to this. I understand. I, but let's face it, the point I think is actually clear We need to not trifle with God, who is both real and holy. And I'm not sure we see it sometimes, the holiness of God. You know, sometimes we think of the Lord is, you know, your nice, warm, cosy friend um, that's there to give you a warm, cosy, fuzzy feeling. And, you know, there is stuff in Scripture about that. The The Lord is there to comfort and to to be a refuge and a, and a strength and a rock. I could give you lots of examples. But we really need to know God in all his, his breadth and his depth and his holiness. Do we really know who we're dealing with? The Lord God Almighty, holy, 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 it says. 
We forget it so easily that there is heat with the holiness. And so, yes, we're not to be frightened, but may I suggest that being a bit scared wouldn't be amiss, because this is God. And the reason it is, is because not only do we need to understand who God is, we need to understand who we are. And when we look at ourselves, we realise, don't we, that we are sinful. We're dreadfully sinful. At least I can say, I know I am. And he is not. He is perfect. He is holy. And the message from God is, your sin is serious because I'm a holy God. Your sins separate you from me. In a, in a sense, God is dangerous because he is holy and we are not. Uh, but as we, as we see this, we also know that he is a reconciling God, because we mentioned that, didn't we? This, this place is about mercy as well. Uh, and he says to us, I'm going to reconcile you. I have found a way for my wrath to be satisfied. I'm going to do that through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Son of God. Jesus Christ on the cross, who takes away the sin of the world, who gives mercy, because God is not only holy, he is also love. He is the two things together at the same time. You see, God's problem, to put it, if I can put it that way, it's not really the right way to put it, but God's problem isn't because, isn't that he's just cranky, or he's capricious in some way. No, it's because he's holy, and he's just. And you can't just touch him. You can't just come into his presence without your sin and my sin being atoned for, being dealt with. And of course, the good news is it has been dealt with for us, supremely, because God is also reconciling God on the cross. And that is good news for each of us. It's a wonderful thing, that. The third thing to, to pick up is... Um, just the sheer celebration of the Lord here with joy, the great celebration that we see. As you can imagine, the scene caused a lot of fear. Um, and you see it here, don't we? We see a lot of fear. And so David was not willing to take the ark of Jer to Jerusalem, fear others would die. As he takes three months to think about it, what, what's going to happen? And he sends the ark instead to Obed-Edom. Uh, and what we come to see is that the ark is not automatically deadly, um, even though it is dangerous. And, and we see this, we see this clearly with the witness of the blessing that it brings to Obed-Edom's uh, family and household. And so we come to a kind of the hinge point. The hinge point in the whole passage here is in verse 12. Um, and it really is the main thing for us to notice. If you were eagle-eyed, you can see on my chart that 12a is missing. <laughs> you probably wouldn't have noticed it. I did that deliberately because it's the hinge point in the whole passage, deliberately so. It says this. It says, the Lord, we can put it up, has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So we can put that up. Hopefully it will appear. It will be animated. It will catch up. 
If I get like that. <laughs> there we go. There it is. There's the hinge point. David, you see, David gets the point here. You see the Lord's true intent for his people. What is the true intent of, for his people? It's to bless them, isn't it? It's a blessing. Um, not to destroy them. He doesn't want to destroy them. He has to warn them about how holy he is, but he wants to bless. That is the, that is the intent of God. That's what he's like. And the way the passage is written clearly shows us that the blessing is the heart of God's intention for his people. And it's at the heart of his intention for you as well, is to bless. Now that he's being carried correctly on poles <laughs> with the right people. You see, we, we, we thought the first movement of the ark, the top bit, the first movement of the ark was full of joy. Look at it now. Verse 12 says they're, they're rejoicing. David is dancing. He's doing the Argentine tango. I don't know what else he'd have been doing. He's, he's giving it everything. I'm not going to dance, I promise. I embarrass Nathan. <laughs> um, they're blowing trumpets. Um, this is the sound of praise and joy. Of... Now, Here's something very important. Here we are to rejoice and shout and dance at the Lord's presence. And in the previous section, we notice that we're, we're, to, we're to tremble with holy fear at the holiness of God before the Lord's presence. And yet here, in the second, what we see in secondly is, is that we're to rejoice in the holy presence of, of the Lord. And it seems to us sometimes that, do they sound like they're not, how do they go together? But they do go together. Actually, it's really important that fearfulness and gladness, holiness and blessing, truth and love, we should shudder and dance. We should cry out in fear and rejoicing. In, it says, it, it, this, you see this so clearly in Psalm 2, if you go and look at it, verse 11, you see it in, a lot in the Psalms. It says in Psalm 2.11, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. <laughs> it's the same at the same time. I know it's difficult. It's hard to, hard to understand, but that's what we are to do. Fourthly and finally and briefly is the humility of the Lord's servant. Um, the humility. The second half of the story is a, is a success the ark arrives in the house of David, the presence of God among his people, whoop, everyone's partying, having a great time, yet there's somebody who's not happy. There's a tragedy, verse 16, going on, isn't there? What is the tragedy? We're introduced to Michal, the daughter of Saul, who, verse 16, looks down, watching David leaping and dancing and doing all his stuff, and despised him in her heart. Oh, what a tragedy to look at somebody worshipping the Lord and, and just despise them. Verse 20 is pregnant with sarcasm. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as a vulgar fellow would. Interestingly, the writer here refers to Michal as the daughter of Saul. He knows that and he does it, does it three times. Whenever that happens in Scripture, he's doing it deliberately. Why is he referring to Saul 
the previous king three times. Well, because he's saying, I want you to understand, that was the old regime. That was what the old kingdom was like. Uh, you know, where, where, where Saul uh, was more interested in royal pomp, pomp and decorum and outward appearance and status than actually worshipping the Lord. No king should be acting, he would have said, or convorting in this kind of way with the riffraff, the slaves. There's great humility here in the way King David acts. And that's the point, isn't it? David wasn't doing this for those around him. His audience was the Lord. Verse 21, it was before the Lord, it says, I'll celebrate before the Lord. I'm not celebrating before anyone else, celebrating before the people around me. I'm celebrating for the Lord. And so often, sometimes we worship like that, either corporately, because we're, 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 we're expecting other people to look at us, <laughs> or we're wondering about what other people are doing. But it was before the Lord. And that's all that mattered, isn't it? You see what's going on. David doesn't see himself so much as king, as Israel's king, but as the Lord's servant. And humility is appropriate for servants. You know, it was one of the, one of the finest moments of the coronation service. I don't know whether you like that stuff or not, but it was one of the finest moments when King Charles was, what, he was stripped, wasn't he, of all his robes, just down to a simple garment, and he knelt before the high table. You see, humility is dignity. And I think the whole interaction between David and Michal shows us the important application when it comes to our worship. What is the important application? It's about what's in here, isn't it? Some of us are more temperamentally exuberant and, and will be doing the Argentinian tango in worship of the Lord. <laughs> um, but other of us aren't. But what matters is what's going on inside us because we're doing it for the Lord, not for anybody else. You know, exuberant praise and tears of holy fear are okay. Sure, there are times of calm and there are times of enthusiasm. And how this manifests itself, it will be very dependent on who we are and the circumstances and the context and the people we have to help us lead in that but the question we should keep asking ourselves is, does the presence of God move us? Does our faith in the Lord Jesus move us to worship him, however that might look for each of us? Let's pray, shall we? Uh, God, our Father, um, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you for how it reminds us of your desire to be at the centre of your people. And through it we see your holiness. And yet at the same time we see your desire to, to bless and to reconcile. And we thank you that we see all this through the, through the lens of the Lord Jesus who's done that on the cross for each of us. Thank you that we stand in your presence now by faith in the Lord Jesus. And we pray that as we worship, we would do it in, in spirit and in truth. That it would affect our hearts. And it wouldn't be about what others think or those around us, 
but it would be about you. Whether that's something we do together, Father, or whether that's something we do on our own, wherever we worship, we pray that the Lord Jesus will be the centre. In his name we pray. Amen.